We are still in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We have been looking at the disciplines of grace based upon our study as it ended in Matthew, the life of Christ. And the last command was go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. So we went, just kind of touched the service on some of those things as you come to an end of the, end of the year, beginning of a new year. It's good to consider the path of your feet and ask the Lord. So things that you need to adjust as a believer. And so that's what we ended with last week because last week we looked just at verse 1. And he said, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we looked at Titus chapter 1. It said, grace has appeared and it brings us salvation and it teaches us to deny ungodly. And to focus, to live wisely, righteously, and godly in this present world. So last week we ended by saying, how are you doing? How are you doing? That's between you and the Lord. How are you doing? This week we want to get back kind of full circle. Making disciples. Now it's our opportunity, it's our challenge to go into all the world and make disciples. But in order to do that, you need leaders that will pass the baton. Training up leaders that will pour themselves into the next generation of leaders. And that's something that always has to be going on. When Pastor Howe was up in Billings as a pastor, he had a program himself. He called Passing the Torch, 2 Timothy 2 program. And he would look for people Men that had, he believed had the calling and gifted us to ministry and pour into them. That's what we want to talk about today. The importance of the ministry of the local church and training up leaders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, I thank you for this church that over the years has supported and invested in men that were set aside for ministry so that we see this impact going around the world from Laramie, Wyoming. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to, not only those guys that are going out from here, but we'd be able to touch the lives of other churches also. They could see this important opportunity they have to raise up the next generation. Give us wisdom. Apply the word to our hearts today. Lord, even use it to call some men to ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Some guys have the idea that they look at different opportunities for uh, having a career. And some guys, I don't know, that ignorantly would choose the ministry. They, they get a scholarship, maybe go to a college, and then they end up going to seminary. Now they have a degree. Now they look for a place. I remember uh, Brian Johnson, one of our guys that's now the pastor up in Thermopolis, and uh, he said when he first showed up at Southern, you know, he's a new student. He's thinking in his own mind, well, I'm probably going to have to go back to Wyoming because that's where he felt called to come back to. And I'll probably have to work a job because, you know, in Wyoming, sometimes there's these cities you get called to that just don't have much for, for employment. They have small churches. I'll work a job and I'll minister to my church. And he was listening to these other guys at coffee time that happens at seminary. You know, after chapel, you have coffee and donuts. It's a spiritual thing, kind of like Baptist communion. And uh, these guys were talking about, well, I'll tell you, when I get my degree, 
I won't take a church that's paying less than this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to move me there. And they hit all these things, and he thought, where in the world have I landed? It sounded like something maybe a law student or med student might be saying, but not a pastor. See, because they have the wrong idea. They think that the ministry is something that they bring. And then they move the ministry around, and they, they take their ministry to a, to a small church first. But, you know, if you're really going places, then you want to move up in the world. And so you kind of keep your eyes open, and you, you network so that you go to the conference in the different places, and you meet people, and eventually somebody's going to know you, you're a good guy, and they'll recommend you to another church, and then you go to a little bigger church. And if you're really good, then you one day can land in a mega church, right? You really, really take good care of yourself and climb the latter. Well, I'm very thankful that Lynn and I were discipled by a man that didn't believe in that ladder climbing. And I remember Lynn telling me, I never got to meet this gentleman, but there's a pastor in Chicago. He's got to be getting close to 100, and he's still pastoring. He's not the lead pastor anymore in his church. But Lynn and my dad went down to visit with him, and he told them a couple things. I think he spent more time on these two things, but these are two things that I remember. He said, men, grow where you're planted. And then he said something else. He said, trouble comes, trouble leaves, I stay. See, that's the kind of people that Paul was looking to invest in for the ministry. People that valued the local church. People that see the local church as the queen of battle. Not a seminary. Not denomination. Even in our denomination, we hear a lot, and I don't agree with it, well, we can do more together than we can separately. The problem is, on, on one level, logically, I can see that. You get a bunch of churches together, maybe they're going to accomplish a financial goal to send a missionary, and so we cooperate in the uh, IMB missionary offering every year, and we're glad to be a part of that. But that attitude can lead to where, well, we don't take care of leadership, we don't worry about this or that. We let the denomination do that. That's their job. And pretty soon you start parsing out responsibility to outside the local church. And then the local church is just kind of sad. You know why? Because there's such joy in the ministry. There's such joy in seeing people come to Christ and being discipled to maturity. And then some of those people get called into ministry and you get to see them go from here, and they establish a ministry someplace else, and you pray for them, and you see that ministry grow. There's such joy and fulfillment in that. And why wouldn't a church want to be a part of that? The reason so many of our churches are sad and weak today is because what happens? Because they bought into this ministry. You got to get a pastor from a seminary, and then he comes by, and he, you know, unloads his uh, 26 sermons twice, whatever, I'm being facetious. Um, and then he, he ministers to you for a while and he gets a better opportunity and moves on. So then the church has to go into scramble. Oh no, where do we get our next pastor? Do you know that God has blessed this church? We've had outside speakers in for seminars, for different special meetings. But you have ne we have never had to go get a pastor to come and preach to you because I was on vacation or I needed a break. Why? Because God is raising up men from the church. Every one of our elders can minister the word of God. Besides some of the men that we have that are being trained up in seminary. And when that happens, then we just look to the next generation from within. Someone that's gotten saved through our church, somebody that's come to our church and been discipled in our church, part of our church, when it's time for me to do something different, like go to heaven, you know, 
then there'll be, there'll be a, a bunch of people right here that we have to choose from. There isn't just one pastor here either. We have a whole group of shepherds that minister to us. There's so much more strength in that so the, the, the ship of faith can just keep going in the direction God calls it rather than, well, now we get this guy, I guess we're going to focus on this. Oh, no, now we're going to focus on this. And the answer is right here in Scripture. The Lord intended, and that's why Paul taught this, that every church is involved in leadership training. I have a very good friend in the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a great guy. And he said, you know, I'm so thankful that the denomination cares, takes care of leadership training because I'm so busy. And I said, buddy, you're missing out not only on the great joys, but that's one of your main jobs in teaching the word, in seeing people to Christ, seeing people grow up, and then figuring out who is God calling to ministry. So that every single local church, no matter what its size, can have global impact. Global impact. You know, Scotland used to be called the land of the book. And some of the great missionaries of the 18th and 1900s came from these little islands around Scotland, places where there's hardly any people, but God used a faithful pastor to preach the word and pour his life into somebody. Now, I'm not against seminary. I'm thankful for Shepherd Seminary and for the West Institute, but that's just a place for guys to get tools. That's not a place we send people into ministry from there. Just because you get a degree does not mean you're called or qualified. Now, we, even in what we advertise in the West Institute, Clayton says, and you probably know by heart, what does it look like for you to take a year of your life so that the Word of God becomes a foundation for whatever God calls you to? That's our motivation in the West Institute. Now, God has used that to call guys into more education, but that does not mean that we don't have the responsibility, that I don't have the responsibility as a pastor, that we don't have the responsibility of elders to be pouring in for men and looking for men that might, God might be calling into ministry. So I want this whole chapter is about the kind of men that God needs for ministry. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. We looked at verse one. It takes the grace of God. We need to be always walking in grace. Verse two. Paul says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now, John MacArthur says that this idea of the presence of many witnesses carries the fuller idea supported by the confirming testimony of other teachers, including the teaching of other apostles. Peter recognized the apostle Paul's teaching. So he's talking about the body of faith that we recognize as biblical doctrine. He says, you need to make sure you're passing that on to men who will pass it on to other men. John MacArthur used an amazing illustration. He said when he was in college, he was on a track team. And uh, part of the track team was running a four-by-one. And so uh, he, uh, I think he was a sprinter, so that probably long distance for him. But he ran the second leg, and he said... He was always, he's always deferring, you know, when he talks about himself. But he says, you know, I was kind of the slower guy, so they let the fast guy run, second guy runs, third guy's catch up, and the fourth guy wins the race. Well, first guy ran his leg, passed it off to John. 
John ran his leg, and the guy that was one of the faster guys on the team, they hand it to him, and he takes off running, and all of a sudden he just pulls over and goes and sits on the infield. And they're like, whoa, what happened? He must have pulled a hamstring. What happened? They all go rushing over there. What happened? I don't feel like running anymore. What? What does that come from? I don't feel like running anymore. So you were given the responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. Well, I don't feel like doing it anymore. But Paul says, we need to take time. It takes more than just seminary or theological education to determine who's called to ministry. What is the standard? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have the qualifications laid out there, right? And it says, if any man desires an office of bishop, and bishop, pastor, elder, those are interchangeable, pastor, those are all interchangeable. There's two offices in the scripture, deacons and pastors. And he said, if they desire that, that position, it's a good work they desire to do. Not a good position they desire to hold. Not a good career they desire to have. It's a good work they desire to do. So we have the qualifications. Then you have giftedness. In the qualifications, there's one that talks about giftedness as apt to teach. Are they able to communicate? Can they do what Paul says and actually pass a body of faith on to the next generation? Do they inspire people to want to follow Christ? Are they able to teach? And the third is those giftednesses are recognized by the elders, the other pastors, and by the church. So when we set a man aside for ministry, we have an ordination council, and we have other pastors that are ordained come in, they give them questions, but they don't ordain them. You do as a church. So the elders recognize, and what happens is after I see a young man and he's, he's been in ministry for a while, not just he graduates, but we like to do it, he's been in ministry a while, then we say, you know what, we see God's gifted us in your life. So we call the ordination council, we ask those questions, we have just a good fellowship at our places, because we wouldn't put him up for ordination if we had question about his doctrine. But we let these other guys come in and question him, it was a good test for him. And then we all gather, and you all affirm him to the ministry because you've been involved in his life also, and you can say, and you have opportunity, hey, listen, I don't, you may not know, but this guy, he's been robbing banks to put himself through seminary. Oh, well, he shouldn't be a pastor then, right? Now that you say that's ridiculous. But the point is, the whole church has had opportunity to look at him, and they all, we all affirm him and it's not that we're making them something God's not doing. All we're doing is we're seeing what God has done. So there's qualification by his character, giftedness, and then recognition by the elders and by the church. That's what Paul's talking about. But he said, Timothy, part of the job of a pastor, and it's a main job, is to find men. And so I'm always looking. For guys, we have the, all these young guys coming through. So I'm always looking. And I especially look for the kids that come up all the way through our families because they really get what we're doing around here. And I'm always looking. Who's called to ministry? Who do I see that's gifted? Who's doing the work? And I go after them. I just, I love it. It's just part of what we do here. And so he says, 
you find those men who are able to teach others also that they're going to carry on the work of passing the, the baton. Well, that's going to take some character in their life. So he says in verse 3, they need to be tenacious. They need to be a little bit tough. It'd be tough. You know, somebody goes out for football, doesn't make them a football player. See, a football player is the guy that he gets kicked in the shin, he gets some cleat marks, he comes home and shoulders his mom, and if his mom was Christy, she'd say, well, that football's stupid. Why would you want to do that? I remember Ben telling his mom, oh, I'm stupid, huh, mom? Well, no, it just seems ridiculous you would do this, but, but they just love it. So I went to my grandsons, and I said, now listen, you know, I, I, you guys don't have to play football. Just because your dad's all played and I coach doesn't mean you have to play football. And they say, Papa, that's what we do. We play football. Well, if you're going to go off for football and you're going to quit because you get bruised or somebody doesn't like the way you do something and the coach yells at you once in a while, you're not a football player. You may have a uniform, you may be in the team, but you're not a football player. Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, part of being a pastor is being tough enough to handle it. Because trouble comes to every ministry. The difference is how you handle it. That pastor that said, trouble comes, trouble goes, I stay. That's a pastor that's called to ministry. He's called to stay, to keep on showing up. Even when people don't like what you're saying, they don't like what your kids are doing. Now, the the way you can tell if a guy's been ministering in grace, a guy may be a pastor all of his life, but how he handles it is going to show up in his family. His wife just hangs with him because, and she's bitter because, well, that's his job, and, you know, I guess he's got to do it. But his kids grow up, and they say, well, thanks, but no thanks. My dad was a pastor. I don't want nothing to do with it. Now, that doesn't just depend on the, whether they had problem in church or not. That depends on how the pastor dealt with the problems. Now, what I taught my family was, hey, you know, it's football. And uh, if you know football, it's not a contact sport, it's a collision sport. And that's what church is kind of like. It's just, it's a collision sport. Why? Because, listen, when you step up to be an elder, Satan paints a target on you. That's why we set aside men to serve as elders because what we see in their life, but we also let them sit there a year and say, listen, you and your wife and your family, you decide if this is really what you're cut out for because you're going to get hit. Why? Because this is a live church. And Satan wants to discourage leaders. If you discourage the leaders, then the church just can become showing up on Sunday. Pastor, a fellow told me after the first service, he says, you know, that's the thing about this church. It's, it's, there's always this, this movement that's going on. That's right. Because it's live, we're always trying to find out where's the Lord going? How do we follow him? But there needs to be some toughness. Paul says, join the fellowship of hard knocks. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a soldier that starts whining and quits because he's got to be on a long road march? Or he gets tired of carrying his weapon? Now, every soldier gets tired of carrying his weapon, I'll tell you that, because they make you do stuff like carry it overhead for long periods of time and, and make sure that you never leave it any place you've got to have your weapon with. There's a discipline about it. 
But a real soldier doesn't complain about the hardship because he knows that's part of preparation. There's a, there's a battle coming. We have to be prepared for it. So how do you find out if a fellow is going to be tough enough? Well, the Lord provides the challenges. We don't have to do that. You know, if you're in a military service, they provide hard challenges for you and they make you crawl through the mud and do all kinds of things. I've experienced that. It's just part of the deal. But life comes with trials. And as a pastor observes how people handle trials, you see. The Bible is very clear. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that it's necessary that faction comes. What was the faction in that day? Well, some people were saying when Jesus didn't rise from the dead, didn't really have to rise, not important when he rose again. And Paul said, don't be blown away by people that teach false things or by trouble that comes. It's necessary that faction comes so that those that are approved would stand out how they handle the challenge. Then he says next, verse 4, a shepherd in active service is no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now listen, I don't remember who my enlistment guy was. I don't remember him. He just... Told me, asked me what I wanted to do, and I told him, and he got the spot, and I got a guarantee, and I was in the infantry. I don't remember who he was. And when I took an oath, I didn't take an oath to the guy that enlisted me. I took an oath to defend, obey the, the leaders, my officers, the President of the United States, and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's who I was dedicated to. That's what I was dedicated to. Here we have the opportunity to be focused on and please the one who enlisted you because Jesus enlisted every one of us to be saved. But it says this idea, it can't be entangled. The Greek word is woven together. It means to weave. What happens in life? I challenge different people and they're just... Well, I'd like to come then, Pastor, but because I'll look and say, well, I really see some things going on in that guy's life. And so I, I give him a challenge. I invite him to come get together. Oh, well, when it's convenient, I think, uh, I think this could work out. And the next week, it's not convenient. I find the same thing in, in small groups, right? It's so important. It's a big ministry of our church, but half of you can't get there every week because, well, I had something come up. I had something come up. The thing I remember that's kind of even a weight today on my mind, when you're in the military, you don't belong to yourself. If you've never been in the military, maybe you have a different connection, but you've never felt that before. You know, you're in high school, you're in college, you don't feel like going to work, you don't go to work. If you're sick, you go to the doctor. You don't do that in the military. You get permission to do everything you need to do. You get permission to go to sick call. Sick call tells you whether you're sick or not. You don't decide that. You're not your own. And if you go to the beach and you get sunburned, they can give you an Article 15. For what? For destroying government property. I had a buddy that happened to because he was stupid. You belong to them. And I remember whenever Christy and I, because Christy was in there with me. She wasn't in the Army. She was just in the system with me. And uh, sometimes you had to get a job. Where we lived, it was very expensive, so I worked some jobs sometimes so I could help. But, you know, that job never took priority over the military. Mm -mm. And they had a saying in those days, we didn't issue that wife, so your problem. 
So you want to live with your wife, you have to make some extra money. But whenever duty called, didn't matter if you got fired from that job, you showed up to work. And I remember every leave we took, when I was a private and went on leave, there's this pressure. You think, oh, I'm, the whole time you're thinking, okay, I got five days left, four days left. Oh, it's time to go back. And we wait to the last minute. He just didn't show up to work the next day. You had a time by midnight you had to be back on that when leave ended. And then you had to be in your place. Or we didn't have cell phones in that day. So you had to be in your place of residence and call in. At least you didn't have to go to duty station if you're married. But call in and say, okay, I'm back. Because if you told them you were back and they had an emergency like we did often, and they called you into service and you weren't there, you're in trouble. Because your life is not your own. The same thing is true in those that are called to ministry. It's not just a little thing you take and leave or stop doing when you don't feel like it. Paul said, it's, you're called to be a soldier. Your life is not to be woven in to th other things that can tear you away. Your focus is pleasing Christ. And that's a special calling. It's not for everybody. You just don't quit because you get tired. Thirdly, verse 5, honorable. So also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. It's not just that you believe the right things. There's a way scripturally ministry is to be done. You know, William Carey said about ministry, the Lord's work done the Lord's way will never lack for God's supply. I remember there's a fella, not Aaron, because Aaron does it right, but there's a fella that worked for FCA up in Montana years ago. He said, you know, the cool thing, Paul, is we're not the church, so we can raise money however we want. I'm like, what? I didn't know there was another standard for how you operated with financial integrity aside from the scripture. I guess in his mind, there was. He's no longer serving the organization. But no, there's, there's ways that we ought to do. And Paul uses an athlete as a description. And in his mind, he was probably thinking of the Olympics. Now, if you're going to be the, in the Olympics, you had to be a citizen of Greece in order to get in. Then you had to set aside and promise you would train for so long so you weren't just a clown when you showed up to, for your event. You were actually prepared for it. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifest, manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, now, the athletes in the Olympics, they set time aside, they buffet their bodies, they deny themselves so they might train and win a corruptible crown, but God's called us to run in a race that's going to have effects for all eternity. More important. It's not just important what we believe, it's important how we act with integrity, that we act honorably. And then... Verse 6, fruitful. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of the crops. So as an example, he used, first of all, what? Soldier. A soldier needs to be hardened. He needs to be tenacious. He needs to be tough enough because of the ministry and because of the, the war that we're facing, the spiritual battles. He needs to be focused, not just entangled with the world. 
like an athlete, we need to make sure that we function according to scriptural integrity and rules. And lastly, it needs to be fruitful. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, it says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. You wouldn't call a guy a farmer that never had any crops or wasn't interested in raising crops or having a harvest, would you? I think the idea is fruitfulness here. Somebody that's called to ministry is always, and, and pastoring especially, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. It's not enough just sit in your office and study. If the pastor's not interested in evangelism, the church is not going to be focused in evangelism. It's just we need to be about those things as pastors. And he said, the hardworking farmer first has to partake of the fruits. Whenever I, and this is me, because it's what God has called me to be and what he's made me to be. I don't know if I can pastor any place but Laramie. I feel like he made me for Laramie. Because I, when, I, when, I, when I would take the time and tell you the story, it's like the Lord just kept opening up these opportunities and new fields. When I came, the first field I saw was the university. And after about three and a half years, we had a harvest of young people from the university come to Christ that we're still seeing that, that harvest go on in their families and other people that have come to Christ. Some of you are children of some of those that came to Christ back in the 80s. And then God be worth my life. I thought, well, you know what? We have the college guys. We got them. It's their responsibility to reach other college people. How do we reach Laramie? And I thought about myself. What, what can you do? Well, I've worked in the gym before. So one of the college guys that had gotten saved said, hey, Paul, why don't you come up and we need help in the gym working at the high school. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I got up there, wasn't up there too long. And the basketball coach said, listen, they're paying me to watch the gym, but I really technically can't watch the gym if I'm coaching basketball. Would you be interested in the job? I said, sure. So I became the strength coach for the football team. Pretty soon I was coaching the football team. And that was the Lord opening up another field to prepare. Now that field extended through guys like, like Aaron who came to Christ during those days. And now he's in charge and has influence of the university with the athletes up there. Another field. See, that's the way a shepherd is supposed to think. How do we prepare a field? So whenever I go to a town, like when I visit Sam down in St. George, God hasn't called me down there. Yet, sometimes I think he has on blizzard days. But not down there. and It gets cold on there too. But anyway, I think about now, how would I function in this culture here? I'd look at how, where would I go to get started to start clearing a field? That's what a shepherd thinks like. See, because if you shepherd and you never have a harvest, it's going to be so discouraging. So discouraging. So it's not just that we believe the word is powerful. We believe the gospel is powerful. But we expect to have a harvest. I'll just pick on Aaron because I already did this morning, so I won't change this illustration. But I remember the, the joy in my heart when Aaron, who has just been serving faithful the FCA, and he's, he's he consistent, integrity, he's ministering, he's discipling, he comes to me one day and says, Paul, I just want to see somebody get saved. Oh, that blessed my heart. That's the heart of a shepherd. We just don't want to go through the motions so that we, well, we gave it a good sermon today. Yeah, people said they liked it. Is there something happening? Is there seed being sown? Is there a harvest is it being multiplied? Said the shepherd, 
that's farming like that has to be the first one to share in the crops. Otherwise, you won't keep going. If there's no crop, there's no reason to farm. And Paul ends with this, 2 Timothy 2.7. Consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. It makes me think of what Jesus said, go and make disciples. The word disciple is just learner. We're disciples of Christ. We're learners of Christ. I said last week, our elders have yet to come to a place in their life. They say, well, we have this figured out. We don't have to pray about this. We don't need to see what the Bible says. No, we always go back to the scripture. We always go to prayer in every decision, everything we consider, because we're learners. The thing about a shepherd is, if you're a know-it-all, you don't need to learn. You're not called to the ministry. You won't last long. We're learners. And a learner is always willing to listen to the Lord. Always excited about learning more and more about Jesus. More of his grace to others show. More and more about Jesus. More and more about Jesus. More about the ministry. Shepherds always desiring, how can I shepherd better? How can I lead better? It's just on his heart. Are we doing a good job? Are people falling through the cracks? Not about just how his 401k is doing and, and you know, how, how are things looking? What, is, am I looking good to everybody else? What does the Lord think? Am I really growing to become what the Lord wants me to be? I want to take some time in the next week or two, look at the rest of this chapter because then it talks about what wants to train them to be. Now, for every young man, I hope as you're a, a Christian young man, you want a Proverbs 31 woman, right, Isaiah? That's what you're looking for. That's what you found, I think, right? And so a Proverbs 31 woman. The problem was, if you really look at Proverbs 31, she's married and she has kids. You know, she's got a business. Great, but you can't marry her. She's already married. So we're not looking for guys that have all these things fully matured and bearing fruit in their life, but we're looking for those things that they desire. You want to find a girl that desires to be a Proverbs 31 woman. That put the Lord first and her family above her own needs. Oh, I know that's not popular, but that's what the Bible says. And then it says the biblical husband, he puts his wife and family above his needs. Now, you you can't find a young man that's fully matured in 1 Timothy 3 in the, the qualification of the elder. But you find a young man, young ladies that desires those things in his life, and that's what the pastor's looking for. And I'm always keeping my eyes open. And I don't just look at the guys coming to seminary. I'm looking at guys like Fisher Frude and Isaiah and Ben Brown and the guys that are growing up in our church saying, who is God calling? And then God has called me and our elders to make sure that we're pouring our life into them. We're not just saying, well... Talk to, talk to Clayton, see if you can get into seminary, and we'll see if we're called. You know, it's our opportunity to pour into those guys so they're ready. So when it's time for Paul Martin to go someplace else like heaven, the church doesn't go into a scramble. Oh, I don't know. We didn't do a national search. We better go down the denominational website and see if there's anybody available. No, no, no. We're growing them up right here. It's so important. And I'm so thankful to you as a church because you've made it possible for me and the the pastors that are here to be about that ministry. What a blessing you are. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, this is so important. And Lord, you have a church here, a Philadelphia church that sees their opportunity. And Lord, they've been faithful. But Lord, we don't want to stop yet. Lord, this year we want to see another harvest of young people through our youth ministries, our Sunday school ministries, through our adults, through our college ministries. Lord, and then call some of them even now. Set them apart that there would be eternal ramifications in the lives of others as they give, spend their lives for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then, Lord, we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.